time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Welcome, listeners, to episode 51 of the Feelin' Film podcast. This week, we're reviewing the classic Milton Bradley board game, Life. Do we prefer the doctor, the teacher, or the police officer with his special rules? How many kids do we like to have? And is gambling on the stock market really worth it? Find out the answers to these burning questions as we dive into this family favorite. That was great. (laughs) (laughs) That was the greatest intro for something we will never cover ever. (laughs) Do you think anybody bought it even for a half second? I don't think so. With our humor, I think no. people would be like, get on with it, please, no. boo, you know, come on. But I, I'm a board gamer, so I thought maybe, maybe somebody might be like, oh, crap, Aaron's really going to do this and like talk about a board game. <laughs> well, when we started by saying the Feelin' Film podcast, I don't think they'd probably go, wait. You're right. I, I should have tweaked that. I should have said the Feelin' Games or something. But <laughs> but no, no, this is, uh, this is not the podcast about the game of life. Uh or the meaning of life, for that matter, as we probably that would be a Monty Python <laughs> podcast, right? But, but we might do one on that eventually. Um, <laughs> so really, you know, we couldn't resist. Uh, is just perfectly set up joke to do that. What we're really doing is talking about the newest film from the writing tandem of Zombieland and Deadpool. This film stars Ryan Reynolds, Jake Gyllenhaal, Rebecca Ferguson, among others. It's life, and it was one heck of a ride in space, as far as I'm concerned. Patrick, thanks for bearing with me through all that. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. It's been a good weekend. Uh, good to watch another film and talk about it, and uh, it's been it's been good. Good to hear. Good to hear. So, you have anything for us this week in the what we've been up to section? Have you gotten around to any extracurricular entertainment activity? I don't have much. I've been. Um, you mentioned this on on a show a few weeks ago. I actually started watching, and I've almost finished the OJ documentary, OJ Made in America. Oh, that's right. You you mentioned that to me. Yeah. Um, just a couple of quick thoughts. First, it's a phenomenal documentary worthy of the of the Oscar. And secondly, I, I think uh, the, the 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 church I go to is multiracial, and that's one of the vision statements is to kind of be unified and and kind of deal with this stuff when it comes to racial unity. And this film really seems like an avenue, um, or at least an opportunity, to create what I would call just good dialogue between people of multiple races. There are, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a phrase, I don't know if you're familiar with it called white privilege that is oh, I'm spoken. familiar, very familiar. Yeah, quite, 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 uh, we're quite familiar with in our church, um, as well as, you know, the, the, uh, the concept of black lives matter. And I think that I was talking to this, I was talking to my dad about this today. I said, those two concepts, those two phrases as abrasive as they are, really articulate what I think is the honest truth about race relations in America and the fact that, you know, when we look at the honesty of what the situation was with the the LAPD and with the Rodney King issue and then the motivations behind the the OJ verdict and things like that, the the documentary really helps put a a what I think a good translation on that on how race relations have, you know, have evolved, how they've you know, just kind of, I don't know, transformed, not necessarily in good ways. 
And I think that a documentary like this is not just powerful in its subject matter in revealing what I consider probably the most objective of vantage points when it comes to an event, but it again, it creates this open-ended opportunity to really talk to people of different races for collaborative discussion uh, in order to have mutual understanding uh, to take place. And, and so there are several there's several people uh, in my church that I would love to kind of dialogue with about this and who lived through that, who are about my age, who uh, were around when the, when the verdict took place, what they were thinking. But it's, it's just a, uh, from a documentary point of view, it's just phenomenal. But it, it's, it's also just one that I think brings with it really hopeful purpose. It's not just saying something about an event. It's provoking solutions even without preaching that. So I, I really, I've enjoyed that. I'm, I'm almost through the fourth of five parts and um, they're so long and I want to finish them, but I, I just, I keep just kind of, I keep just turning them on when I start getting tired, which is not a good thing. And so I've had no. to kind of restart a couple of them here and there. But as I've, as I've watched them, I've, I've grown to just really enjoy them. I want to own it at some point. I think it's worth owning i'd like to watch it you know again at some point but at the very least it's a great conversation starter and one that i hope to be able to use as a starting point with some of my uh some of my uh my friends yeah me too i you know i would like to own it as well and be able to go back to it a few times because i do believe that it is incredibly powerful it's it's one that someday um you know not too far off for me because my kids are young teens at now i would like to be able to watch it with them and kind of walk through it and go over the history mm -hmm. of what took place. Um, a companion for you when you finish that, Patrick, is on Netflix called 13th, um, and mm -hmm. I highly recommend that one as well. Um, I haven't yet seen the third, quote-unquote, companion that I would say is out there right now, which is called um, I Am Not Your Negro, mm -hmm. but it's high on my list to get to uh, as soon as I get as soon as I get the chance because – And both And both are – were Oscar doc, Oscar nominated docs, right? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. A, it was a very, it was a very powerful year when it comes to that. And, um, and I, I think it's good. I think, you know, I think we need that. We need these mm -hmm. reminders of, you know, I, I'll be honest and not to tangent too much here, but, um, it, you know, I personally used to get offended when people would tell me, Oh, that's your white privileges talking. And I, and I think that there's something to be said about, the way in which we communicate with each other is not mm -hmm. is usually broken and is not con conducive to uh, a positive conversation these days. And thing, you know, statements like that just generate this defensive nature in, in me or in people. But I've come to you know take a, a a stepped back perspective and realize that there are a lot of situations where that's that's very true. Um, and I got mm -hmm. into this a little bit more in depth in my actually in our Get Out minisode. Uh, because that came up as well about race relations and um, you know how how people of our race, white folk, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> uh, look at what has been taking place to African Americans in this country over the years and what we see it as versus what they see it as. So, mm -hmm. yeah, good stuff, man. I'm glad you brought that back up. What about you, man? What have you been up to this week? Well. Uh, a couple things. One that I want to mention because I simply have to praise this film and I have to recommend it is I watched a movie randomly the other night called The Guest. And this is a film by director Adam Wingard. He's 
directed a couple of horror films in the past. Uh, he did one called horror slash thriller called Your Next that I'm excited to check out eventually. And he's also was at the helm for the Blair Witch sequel from last year. Well, this film stars Dan Stevens of Beauty and the Beast fame. He was the Beast in this remake and previously of Downton Abbey, which I have not watched that show, but apparently he's, you know, period piece dreamy in that show. And so it was really interesting seeing him in in this movie. What this movie is, it's about him coming home to this family in a rural town and telling them that he was in a army unit with their son who was killed. And it's, you know, all about just the family taking him in and starting to form a relationship with him and how, you know, he kind of quickly gets his way into their lives with the mother, with the father, with the the young teenage son who's being bullied at school and with their older daughter who's about 20 years old, I think, in the film. And, you know, they're kind of like pushing her to, hey, maybe you should date this guy. So they're really... They're really bringing him in and all kinds of stuff starts happening. People in the town start, you know, showing up hurt and dead, et cetera. Um, and this movie is bonkers. <laughs> it gets bonkers. Uh, it's got a very eighties and early nineties aesthetic to it. Um, it has a killer, killer techno soundtrack, Patrick, that you would, you will, you would love this film. Because it's it, the soundtrack alone is worth the price of admission, and it's not super bloody and violent. As it's really thriller, not horror. There are a couple of of death scenes and some some blood here and there, but like I mean, it's not as horrific as the movie that we just watched for this weekend's podcast. Um, so I think you would like to check it out. Like I said, or, did I say it was on? Net- I don't think I said. Did I say it was on Netflix? I don't I, think you did. Okay, good because I don't know if it is or not, and that would be misinformation. Um, I don't know where it is right now. Actually, I don't remember where I watched it. It's about 90 minutes long, so it's it's an easy, quick watch, but it's fast-paced. Uh, Dan Stevens is phenomenal in it. really shows his acting chops, I think. Um, the, uh, the the female star from It Follows, M- Malika Moore, or Malika, I don't remember what her name is. It's, she's got a funny name. She's in this film and does a, a really good job, and it's just, it is a wild ride, complete with, you know, crazy ending and and it goes places that you don't expect it to go and it just it, it's so tropey and fun and i highly recommend everybody check this movie out it was it was from 2014 and in hindsight it's in my top 10 of 2014 like i had to go put it in there because it's that good well, all right man that's uh yet another one i'll put on the list of movies that i probably won't get to anytime soon well hey, you know <laughs> at least you have the list but you said techno soundtrack so i, I know i figured that would hook you in go ahead that's my techno impersonation pretty good actually so the other thing i wanted to mention um yesterday was yesterday yeah yesterday was saturday i was at a my son's soccer game and i was talking to um one of our listeners eric and we were discussing randomly bond films and how he was a big fan and i said yeah you know i've I've really been wanting to do a rewatch of all of the bond films but i keep putting it off um you know we, we started looking up prices for how much they would cost to buy them all and i got home and i was feeling just really kind of energized like hey i really really want to do this i haven't watched so many of these since i was 10 12 years old maybe even younger with my dad as a, as a child, I haven't seen them since then. I don't know what it's like to view these as an adult. 
And I said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to start it. And maybe it takes me a while to get through them because there's 24. Maybe it takes me two years, and it just it's a slow burn, you know? Um, and, I, and I started one up, and I watched Dr. No. And I can tell you, so that started that last night. <laughs> and it's been, you know, roughly 24 hours or so since I started that. And uh, I have now, I've now gotten through the first six, Patrick. Um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, as people that are friends with me on social media probably know, I really don't do anything halfway well i when i when i push go on the button i i'm going full speed there's no there's no like leisurely stroll for me i'm i'm a sprinting kind of guy or or just laying on the couch like there's no in between um and but it has been so fun i have just been powering through these things and watching this transition and this progression and and how this character came to be and grow and seeing the development of all the tropes has been very, very special. Um, you know, a couple specific things, just noticing scenes in a Bond film, there was a scene from Speed Racer. It was literally exactly like this scene from the Bond movie, uh, You Only Live Twice. And I was watching this scene in the Bond movie, and I'm like, dude, they took that from Speed Racer. No, no, they did not actually take that from Speed Racer. They, you know, Speed Racer took that from them. And I've seen that happening now in these six movies. And it just really kind of reinvigorated my love for this genre as a whole. I mean, I've always loved spy films. You know, I've loved all the Mission Impossibles. I love all the Bourne films. And I realized there's something about that formula. There's something about that idea of being that secret agent and all of the cool stuff that goes with it um, that appeals to me and in cinema. So it's been fun. I'm going to keep going I, again. I don't, I mean, this has been a weekend. I didn't have my kids and I was able to, to, you know, spam through them. It's not going to be like this every single day going forward, of course, but you say, of course, you're <laughs> going to get a lot of social media feedback on that no one. No one's going to believe me, but you um, might be able to watch them at your job. I might you know. have to, I know I might have to watch one a day instead of three people. Sorry. <laughs> uh, but, but it, in, you know, Anyway, it's not going to take me all year, I don't think. I, I feel like this is something I really want to latch on to. And with, you know, I, I'm willing to put some of that other watch list stuff to the side for a while and just go through these, man, because I am having so much fun with it. Well, don't put too much stuff to the side. We still got to pick up our BSG and try to finish that before the year is out. I know I've got it on pause because of Lent, but just giving you a friendly reminder. We're about four episodes, six episodes into season four, and we got to finish this. Oh, that's not that's not what I meant. No, no, that's not that's a priority. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's been good stuff. Good man, I, I enjoy the Bond films as well, and uh, I've I've grown to appreciate. I think everybody's got their who, who everybody who likes Bond films, they have their own like favorite iteration, and uh, it's it's fun to be able to see what each actor, for better or worse, brings to the uh to the big screen for that role and how they kind of embrace that i've really enjoyed daniel i've really enjoyed daniel craig's um interpretation of bond but i think uh, connery's always going to be my favorite you know you're not alone i don't think in that i'm, I'm withholding my response to that question until i go back through these because a lot of my opinions on what i thought about these films is already changing i'm finding so i'm trying to to hold off on that proclamation right now but um, he was he was always the one I would have said was my mm -hmm. favorite up until now, and I'm I'm anxious to see seeing them in quick succession like I'm doing, you know which one really sticks out the most. 
Yeah, very cool, man. Well, why don't we uh, get into the the main review if you don't have anything else? Nope, let's do it. Okay, because I'm uh, apprehensive at best. <laughs> apprehensive? <laughs> yeah, because you uh, you didn't clue me in that this was a... <laughs> I knew it was sci-fi. You didn't... I didn't see the word horror attached to it until after I saw the movie. So Okay, okay so, so listeners, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> that Patrick well, good is, because hopefully that's on the first, right? <laughs> Patrick is correct. I actually saw the film before he did, and I knew well before it came out. I mean, I've I've known all along what this was going to be like, and um, or at least what my expectation that it was going to be like. And I saw the film, and I actually was um, talking to one of our our feeling film contributors, Don, uh, a writer for the website, and we were discussing the movie after I got out of it on Friday afternoon. And I told him, I was like, yeah, Patrick doesn't like horror and I'm not going to tell him. Ha, ha, ha. And, and I didn't. Um, <laughs> I let you go see this by yourself. So uh, before I before I get your response to it, because I want I'm, I'm really anxious because I don't know what you thought. And I'm, I'm hoping hoping it didn't turn you off too much. Uh, but <laughs> listeners, we are going to spoil this movie. Um, there is stuff in this film that is spoiler worthy. I would say this is not one that, you know, there's a big there's a big reason why I'm explaining that. So or saying that, so if you haven't seen it, you know, we do, we do like it or I do like it. At least Patrick's about to tell you if he likes it or not, maybe you can listen to him and then turn it off, but uh, you can turn us off and come back after you've seen the movie because, or the, yeah, after the movie, because we don't want to, we don't want to ruin your experience. So that you've had your warning, Patrick, with that being said, warning, warning. (laughs) I still want, I still want a button to hit or something, a little audio clip to play. But Patrick, what did you think of this movie? Well, I hate aliens now. I mean, like with a with a passion. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to stereotype and generalize all aliens yeah, because of I'm going to be very much an alien racist is what I'm going to do. <laughs> now, I uh, I walked away kind of shaking my head and I had an idea of what this movie was about. I mean, I knew that it was going to be a thriller because when I as I I'd only seen two trailers for it. I saw the teaser and then I saw, you know, Ryan Reynolds make a snarky comment like he would. And then in another trailer, I saw this jello mold attack in, in, in a movie. And I'm like, wait, what's what's going on here? So I, I really at that point, it was kind of the point of no return because we'd already kind of committed to doing this movie. And so I just said, OK, well, whatever it is. And uh, I have to admit, <laughs> I covered my eyes a few times, especially during during well telegraphed moments when i knew a jump scare was coming like you could kind of tell when uh you know when when uh, ryan reynolds character opens up that compartment door and there's nothing in there after that dramatic music plays and then it's quiet i'm like it's coming it's gonna happen it's gonna get it <laughs> sure enough it did oh, yeah. uh, but i actually i actually really enjoyed this this is one of those as a as a horror movie it wasn't ever even the even the gory stuff felt purposeful. I think for me, when it comes to horror, there's and I've mentioned this before. There's the constant tension that just kind of wears my body out, and it's not something I enjoy personally. And I don't feel like this had that. I felt like it had breathable moments. So when you combine that with um, with a pretty good subplot, um, you know, a good decent kind of cast and and somewhat rounded characters. This turned into a really fun movie experience. I think this is one that's definitely enjoyed in a theater, not just for these large jump scares and the loud banging music, but just because it's, I mean, it's space. 
And I don't know that anything has ever gone right in space. This is a, a movie that you just kind of, <laughs> you kind of know like something's going to go wrong because you wouldn't make a two hour movie about people that successfully capture alien life and use it to, um, to get rid of cancer. You know, it just doesn't work that way. That doesn't make for an entertaining movie. So it also doesn't make a lot of sense, but Hey, no, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, and and that's okay. That's okay. This is again, the, the, the love that we have a film and that it's a cohesive story. It's not necessarily one that you're going to go. That's groundbreaking from a science perspective, (laughs) but it doesn't have to. I mean, the first question I asked was, why are they capturing this again? What's the important part of this? (laughs) But by the end of the movie or by the big parts of it, you're like, you don't really care at this point because you're ready to just kill this, this, uh, this jello mold of some kind or whatever. It, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but overall as a, as a summary, it was really good. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't know that I would see it. I think I would see it again with my wife, but it may not be one that I'm like, Oh yeah, that's definitely a, a high on the rewatch factor for me, but it's not because I didn't like it at all. I did. I did. Well, that's good. I'm glad to hear that, and and glad to hear that it wasn't too scary for you. I, <laughs> I knew I knew there were going to be the moments where you needed to close your eyes or hide just a little bit, because um, even I was kind of like, oh, 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 they're going to go, oh, they're going to go there, oh, okay. <laughs> um, and you know, they were they were few and far between, uh, for sure. Right. And really, really, almost only one major scene. Um, and you know, it, it was apropos, I think, because. That scene being the big time violent horror, crazy, bloody, bonkers, just nutso scene of the film, mm-hmm. also corresponded with the unexpected, you know, killing off of our star, right. who is kind of their protege. He was, you know, these guys wrote Deadpool, and, and this is Ryan Reynolds, and you don't expect Ryan Reynolds to be the first crew member to die. Like that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things I did enjoy about the film is by them flipping that on my, on its head. Um, I want also was kind of, well, we can talk about him and, and characterizations and what I thought about his character, um, in a minute. But so my overall opinion was I enjoyed it. I was a little bummed because seeing it on a Friday afternoon, I got out of work early. And so it was early Friday afternoon and there was like six or seven people in my theater. And I think a late night showing with a full theater, would have been a lot of fun because I would have liked to, you know, be able to hear and feel people's responses around me, uh, to this one. And I didn't get to do any of that. I, I agree with you though, from a big screen perspective of, you know, it's space and, and I want to see all the space movies on the, in a theater because I love sci-fi and I love seeing space depicted and production design is a strength of this film. Um, it is, you know, a passenger's type level of production design. That That's what they were going for. It's crisp. It's stylistic. It is um, fancy. You know, you got like holographic pictures of the ship in the air uh, showing you what's wrong with different systems and such. Very, very cool looking stuff. Um, and, and I think that that is where they put their focus, you know, more so than backstory. So because of that, it, it did not elevate into anything that is going to be a, a favorite, but it was still a fun watch. And I came out of it going, yeah, that was a good ride. Yeah. I think the theatrical experience doesn't have to be complete. Um, and, and interesting, this was what makes conversations about film as art uh, so good 
because we've had a recent conversation in our Facebook group about film as it's intended for certain audiences or for a certain time period. And does that, if it doesn't, if it doesn't go beyond its certain audience or it doesn't extend beyond its, you know, it's, it's shelf life. Does it mean it's invaluable? And, um, and it's, it's sort of an open-ended question. You know, there are those that would say it absolutely is still valuable because it accomplishes what it does. And then there are those that say, well, I mean, good art should, should transcend time. It should transcend ages. And, and there's, you know, the, the discussion around that I think is what makes it so rich with, with, uh, with, with goodness and a movie like this, I think I would recommend to someone who wants an exciting alien attack action movie. And again, I'm not going to call it mindless entertainment because I think there's purpose behind and and there's there's a reason why a movie like this was created. I mean, if we you know, if we can be honest about it, it bears a striking resemblance to a film from uh, <laughs> a couple of decades ago about people on a spaceship being attacked by a strange creature <laughs> aptly named alien. And that was a monumental hit hit. So you kind of ask your, you might have to ask yourself, okay, are we retreading in the same water here? And if so, why? But then we also get movies like the fast and the furious that have become for their own, for its own reasons, a cult hit, but the original Plot-wise, was a direct echo of Point Break from the 1980s. Yet another cult classic, and one that's highly uh, eligible for rewatchability. So, you you look at this stuff, and you kind of ask those questions: Did it need to be? Re- did this need to be created because we already have an iteration of that as so close to it in Alien? I, I submit that that we do, because for me, someone who didn't necessarily grow up loving the Alien franchise who've seen the first two and has sort of poked at the other ones seeing this felt refreshing because the story is powerful. The story is exciting. The story is worth experiencing for a couple of hours. And when you, when you update the characters, when you kind of create some, uh, some cultural context, I think it adds a little element to it. And so as a, as a popular author that you and I both uh, enjoy reading, uh, says that stories aren't new, they're just refreshed. I think this falls into that category uh, incredibly well. I sort of agree. Okay. But for different reasons. Um, okay. I, I do, I would tell anybody who is interested in this movie, it is Alien Light. Um, and that, you know, we talked about last week on our Beauty and the Beast episode about remakes, and we discussed somewhat how making a film or remaking a film is definitely a valid piece of art when you're adding something to it. And like in those films, in the Disney remakes, um, the goal there is, you know, you're adding some narrative depth and adding some, some new things to an already known tale or already known story. This, I do not feel had any kind of additional narrative depth. I think it almost went backwards in the narrative department and and I'm not saying that's bad. What I'm saying is I think that it's okay to do that. Um, and so I, I see, well, there, there's also, 
there's also a difference in a remake and a rehashing of a story too. So, so we, like you said, we had point break and then we had fast and the furious, right? Very similar beats, but different, you know, locales, different types of characters, different, different people. Um, right. So there's a little bit more to separate those. I think true. True. Um, just like, just like, just right. like with this in alien, it's, I feel like this is made because people who alien is a little too scary for can still enjoy this one. Like you, I'm raising my hand, raising I'm raising hand my right, hand right, right now. <laughs> That's exactly my point. And in this one also, you know, obviously the writers were going to do this. We know them from their previous work. This treads more in the humor, at least early in the film until, you know, our humor piece dies. Um, but you know, it, it really, is meant to be more about the action. It's like taking the action pieces of alien and really just cramming them into the movie, making them the whole movie. Um, and I, and I do, I think that, you know, putting the passengers level production value on that is a cool thing. And I, I think it was a great, I mean, I'm, I have no problem with them doing it. I, 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 I think that it's a very wise move what they did. So this movie was actually pegged to come out or scheduled originally to come out the week after alien covenant released they moved it up um, we we already had it on our schedule and and actually didn't know until a couple weeks ago we had to we had to move things around because i was looking at the the release dates and i was like wait a minute life patrick don't we have that in may <laughs> and sure enough we did but they bumped it up well smart smart move team because if this had come out a week after alien covenant no one's going to see this no one is going to see this and this movie would have done nothing at all and that would have been a real shame because it's worth seeing, but I think it coming out now with a couple months before we get the new alien film, you know, it can have an audience and it can have some fans and it can make some money and people can enjoy it. And then we can all go get as excited for alien covenant as I am already. <laughs> very, very great analysis on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of our characters. We know that uh, Ryan Reynolds' character was billed as sort of – he was kind of like the um, – oh, who was it? From the from the Scream series, the um, Drew Barrymore. She was pictured on the – it reminded me of that where she was pictured on the poster and she gets killed off 10 minutes into the film, right? Spoiler alert. I apologize. I just said that, but it's 1996 when this came out. So please, you know, I, I can't be fully – liable for that right okay. yeah no you're you're good the statute of limitations on spoilers does not last 20 years okay <laughs> in any case but i think that's very i think that what i agreed with you i thought that was a very surprising and very refreshing uh story idea to kill him off because we expected him to last a lot longer than he did and i think that what he brought to the table was that tone that you mentioned early on uh, but what about the other characters what which ones did you like or the stood out to you do you think that they were over the course of the film um as long as they were on screen do you feel like they were fleshed out do you feel like they any of these characters were throwaways that they were just kind of like the red you know the red suits from or the you know, the red shirts from star trek do you feel like they all had some kind of purpose in it um I, yeah i i didn't well yes i thought that some of them were kind but of throw, at the extent of being killed off yeah well the film doesn't kill them off in a way that i felt like they were throwaways though I, I really thought that it was smartly written to be honest with you which again does not surprise me i love the writing in Zombieland like a lot um so they they take that formula and we kind of throw it on their on its head a little bit right because the first person we lose is ryan reynolds the comedic relief the a-list 
well, one of the two A-list actors in this film. And Jake Gyllenhaal was severely underutilized in marketing. Most people probably didn't even realize he was in this movie, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because Jake Gyllenhaal is like one of my like top five favorite actors currently working. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a huge actor. He carries his own uh, uh, projects and, and things very, very much so. As much or more. Did you than... say Hugh Jackman? Did you say Hugh actor? Okay, I'm no. Hugh Jackman. Sorry. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it was surprising to have him. He's he's this jokey character the whole time, but then he gets to have this horrific, not horrific. Well, he does have a horrific. See, I'm I'm like my mind is going there. He gets to have this heroic moment, really, where he's he knows he's putting his life in danger to save his buddy, mm-hmm. and I like that. I thought that we got to know him. We got to know Rory a little bit. And it made his death worse for us because we knew he was really trying to protect Hugh. And I liked that. I liked that he ribbed Hugh and he poked at him. And it was this very brother-like fun relationship that these guys had. And then he goes in there to, to do that, to take him out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked that. I thought we got development there. Um, and, and then I think our next character to die is the captain, which is, again, kind of a little bit unexpected there. You don't normally see that. Normally the crew gets kind of willed off a little bit here and there, and the captain's, you know, in the middle or so, but she gets, she goes out pretty quick. And you know right away when she's going to take that spacewalk that something's not going to happen. Is um, her name Cat? Is that what she is? It, now, this is, this is part of the problem. Yeah. I don't remember anybody. I, I remember David, and I remember Hugh. And that is okay. all I remember personally. And, mm-hmm. and that's because the film doesn't really give us a reason to get too attached. Um, right. And, and that tells you a lot. Well, I, I'm okay. sorry. And Rory, who was uh, Ryan Reynolds name before he died. Um, but okay. yeah, I don't remember her name. Uh, I think Kat might've been it though. Katarina or something. Katarina, she, yeah. was, she was, she was Russian. She was, she was not American. <laughs> But but there wasn't there wasn't a ton of development there, um, and there wasn't a ton of development for the the other female character, uh, Rebecca Ferguson's character that ends up lasting till the end there, and there wasn't a ton of character for, or character development for, um, gosh, what's his name? I don't remember his name, but the uh, Hiroyuki. Yes, him. Yes, he plays uh, a Kanata. Show that's his character name. Yeah. Show. I'm looking at this on IMDb. So full disclosure, I'm. I'm seeing these character names right now. That's so. fine. You can cheat. But um, so he doesn't get a lot either. We get a little bit about his family and, you know, we have a sense of why he might not want to die. But frankly, I don't I don't know. I don't know that I need you to spend your time telling me why people would not want to die. Everybody has a reason to not want to die <laughs> in in theory here. So overall, character development was not a big a big thing for me. I, I, I pretty much just looked past it. Um, I thought the thing with Hugh was a little bit intriguing. What was going on there? So he, he doesn't have use of his legs. I didn't fully understand why. Maybe cancer and or maybe something. I, I, I think we got a sense that he believed whatever could be found from Calvin um, could potentially heal people like him. Mm-hmm. So he was very invested. And, and I liked that. I liked that he was a scientist who was a real scientist. Like his mind was all about the investigative nature of this thing. I thought he displayed curiosity and wonder when he was first trying to, to do tests on Calvin. Like I'm thinking the whole time, like 
seriously, you're gonna shock it? Like, are you are you for real right now? Like, this is, <laughs> so have you seen a movie ever? This is a Martian, and you're gonna <laughs> flip and shock it? That's your that's what you. But but he's not thinking that way, and I love that. I thought it was him. You know, they wrote him in a way where he's not me. He's a scientist, and his job is to mm-hmm. explore and learn. And so he's just doing things that might give him information. So mm-hmm. I liked his – it was hit or miss, I guess I would say, overall. You know, some got yeah. it, some didn't. Yeah, I agree. There were there's one thing that I really liked and one thing that I didn't. And I'll start with the one thing that I didn't, and that is that the backgrounds felt a little incomplete. There was – this happens – I'm always going to go back to this. This, this happens in Lost in the TV series. That there's a lot of mystery surrounding the show uh, about the you know about the characters and the place they they're they're stranded, and there are a lot of questions that start getting asked over the course of the series. But by the end of the series, for this reason or that, they don't get answered. And I felt like there was a lot of there's a difference between having mystery and leaving you wondering and feeling like you have incomplete information. His backstory was one of those. I think um, David's backstory was one of those. I mean, we we discover early on that he doesn't want to leave space, that he's been there the longest. He doesn't want to go back. And I guess we get because he has this jaded viewpoint of of the of Earth. And, you know, I guess that's enough for me. But I felt like I should I wanted more. And with Hugh, I think I felt like the same thing where we didn't get enough to be fully invested in these characters, just enough to push the plot along so that the moment when the choice is made for David to at least attempt to save Miranda, it makes sense because he doesn't want to go back to earth. But the thing that I did like about this was that when those moments happened, they were very emotional for me, not to the point of crying, but they felt very genuine and sincere. They felt like they were moments that weren't just thrown in. And that to me made each one of these characters, despite the fact that I couldn't really understand them sometimes, because I think the dialogue was kind of <laughs> kind of covered by the soundtrack or by, you know, the production. But, and also because, you know, I couldn't remember, because of their not as much fleshed out characters, I think those moments helped solidify that a little bit more for me and helped me care about them more. So when they met their demise or when the ending of, of their story took place, it was entertaining and enjoyable for me. I didn't feel like any of those guys were just thrown in like, okay, we got to have a fifth character or we have to have a person of in this crew position. Like they all felt like they had a reason to be there because of those small yet incomplete backstories. So I felt like it was kind of a blessing and a curse for me as a viewer. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I think that it needed them. Um, I, I'm not as a viewer. I, I didn't walk out of there feeling like, uh, you know, like that was a huge, loss for me um mm-hmm. you know it's it would have been an entirely different film had we gotten a ton more of backstory we we got enough to keep us going and to plot us along and let us enjoy the ride i think um and that's and that was fine you know one of the one of the great the great lines that i just remembered was when rory everything about rory and hugh together like that relationship just is what really stuck out to me for some reason mm-hmm. um and, and early on when hugh or is is you know poking calvin or, and doing things <laughs> and and the the crew is starting to go okay you know maybe you should back off like i was reacting and rory says i'm your buddy you're drunk on this 
Now wake yes, up. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that line. Because, mm-hmm. and I love that line. He, he was saying, you know, it's the same thing we've said to our friends all the time. Like, hey, guys, snap out of it. You know, um, you know, you're you're love struck right now, or you're looking through rose colored glasses, or listen, you're you're doing something that's harmful to yourself and to your body, and I need you to to pull yourself out of this and look at it from my perspective because I'm watching this happen to you. And that was what that moment was. And so it was a really cool scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, it was good. I, I thought, and then some of the, I think, I think where they failed is some of the character development they did try to do fell short for me. Like mm-hmm. for example, the good night moon reading was one of the most awful scenes I've seen in a film in forever. I was like, why is this here? This is terrible and so stupid. Didn't, yeah, li- didn't can... like it. Didn't like that at all. I could I could tell what they were doing. It didn't. I mean, it didn't fall flat for me necessarily. It wasn't. It wasn't emotionally evocative. I felt. It felt. The, it felt out of place. You know, because that I think that the moments where they were trying to hit on emotional levels, I think that was a bit heavy-handed. Um, and a little contrived, like oh, water. Good night, water. Or good night. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, because it's not fully it, earned at that point. You don't feel no. Like. It's not. You're right. And. Um, I did think, you know, again, if we go back to the, the, the latest trailer that I saw, they used that as a as an overlaid narrative in the trailer. And I thought that was really cool. So it kind of disappointed me that it was only used in that way uh, at that moment. It didn't feel, yeah, it didn't feel very heavy at that point. It felt kind of thrown in. Yeah. Well, one of the characters that we haven't brought up is our main character, our, our, our sluggy jello mold of a of an alien that is aptly named Calvin. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like, yeah, I, I, I don't even know. I, I was not a fan of flashing to earth at all. I thought this movie should have just stayed in space. Like, why are we going mm-hmm. to earth for literally like two minutes of screen time to have just some to give high school alien. name an alien? And they named it Calvin. Really? <laughs> it's all the, it's the love of the reformed uh, oh, theologians out oh, there. Is that you what know, it is? it's yeah. a, it's a, <laughs> So it's named it's after, it is, it's named after like, John Calvin. I, you know, that that's fine with me. I mean, I'm I'm perfectly okay with that. I I thought it was named after Calvin and Hobbes or something. You know, <laughs> after the actions that we saw this alien take on, I don't know what it should, be, it should be named like crazy alien thing or don't poke the bear or something. Well, I'll be honest with you. When they first named it, I actually have a note written down right here that says Calvin? Question mark Really? Like. I was I, I was I was very distinctly annoyed <laughs> and I was like where is this movie going right now because I'm not liking the trajectory that we just named this alien Calvin <laughs> um, by the end of it I love that they named it Calvin uh, because he no longer was cute and he no longer was sweet and he evolved and he became something that definitely didn't fit the name Calvin which mm-hmm. made it feel more interesting to me and more ironic, I guess. Um, and so I, you know, over the course of the film, it, it won me over, you know, naming him Calvin. I, I can, I can see that. And I think that the name accented the actions of the, of the alien, as opposed to, you know, so the alien kind of, I mean, I don't know any significance of Calvin besides John Calvin or Calvin Klein um, not even the designer, but the name that Martin McFly is given by his mom in 1955. But Calvin to me seems very, I, I don't know. It's, it seems very, um, what's the word benign. 
Calvin doesn't. It's, right. it's not gone. scary. It's it's definitely no, it's, it's cute. It's it's nice. It's friendly. But but I think that says a lot about the development of this alien creature throughout the movie and as as its own character. That makes me go. I'm not naming. I'm not naming any of my pets or any of my future children if I have any Calvin because that's just going to freak me out. And every time I see the name Calvin, I'm going to think of this Jello like substance that is wrapping itself around a hand and breaking it i mean just oh my goodness and i didn't think that cg could do that to me it could really freak me out like that and kudos to the to the cg department for doing that for being able to uh into the actors you know because they're probably operating off of a you know off of just you know proximity things or whatever i'd be curious to go through the uh the special features of this of this movie and see how how these guys actually interacted with uh, with their uh, with this non real creature this fictitious creature but I, I love the design of it I love the design he was beautiful and mysterious and he did seem very innocent at first so the question that gets asked later on by Hugh or at least a statement that he makes is something along the lines of is he trying to hurt these people or is he just trying to survive. And it's in that one little moment that I, I think, you know, you did kind of stick him with a, you know, a zapper and all he knows is like, even with the rat, all he knows is being attacked. So is he justified in that? And so that was kind of a question going through my head. Uh, and that sort of conflicted with me because at the same time, I'm like, kill the alien, kill the alien. He's killing everybody. And um, but that's, it's interesting to think about it from that perspective. Yeah, so you know when we talk about Calvin, he does mention Hugh early on when he's first investigating Calvin. He says its curiosity outweighs its fear as it's growing and as it's like expanding, and that's that's very true. I think it's as it's moving around the room, and that's that's really what it's about is it's curious. Um, I don't know that we get a sense that it was hurt by the shocking at all. Like, I mean, we don't know. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was stimulated in a negative way. Maybe it was stimulated in a positive way. Um, I didn't see the alien as any kind of revenge or lashing out. I mm-hmm. saw him, Calvin, it as, um, you know, something Hugh does bring up. Like you said, that line later on where he talks about, is it just trying to survive in an environment that it doesn't understand? Um, it mm-hmm. needs certain things to grow and to become what it eventually becomes mm-hmm. from the the very beginnings of just, you know, pretty little flowery moving pieces and limbs of, of jelly. Yeah. And, and that, it needs that, blood. No, I was just saying like it needs the blood or the innards of, of these humans. Whatever is there is what it is using to get bigger and grow and, and evolve. And so I don't think it sees these people as anything other than a source of res- a resource. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, can... that's all there is to it for him. Right. And so the question is, as an, as an audience member, do we feel sorry for him or do we, you know, we, we can't because we're only seeing this from a human point of view. I love the several, there were several shots that we get from his perspective going through the ship. I thought that were, those, those are really, really effective, really cool. But yeah, I think the the moment that I felt that there was any kind of emotion, if you could be if you could attach emotion to Calvin, was the moment that he and I thought this was just the my favorite shot of the film, when he's in the escape pod 
with uh, with David. And you see David just staring at him and the camera gets really close and he showed it's just a stare down between him and David. And you see his face and David's face profiled with each other. And then, you know, the last that's the last shot you see, of course, until the very end. And it was very reminiscent of Alien, which I think the I want to believe the directors and writers wanted that they wanted you to have that throwback to Aliens. Because I remember that particular scene with Sigourney Weaver and and the alien when they were they were you know right up like six inches from each other's faces that's a very powerful scene and one that i just i remember in my seat going oh what's gonna happen i mean you know what's gonna happen but you're like (laughs) you kind of root for i was rooting for david i was like he's not gonna stay he's not gonna back down one because he can't but it just it felt like a moment where we got a an emotionally um characterized version of Calvin for the first time because he actually has a face. And uh, I know that's challenging when you, when you're working with characters that don't have ways to emote with a facial expression. And up till then, um, we didn't get that. We got ambiguity, which I think worked for it, for, for that character. Well, and I think, you know, it's also a matter of the evolution of its intelligence. You know, when it starts, when, what I was talking about was when it's in the lab and when it's breaking his hand to do to just get out, like it's just trying to get out, and so it doesn't think of it as crushing his hand as hurting him. It doesn't care. It's just this is a method I can use to get out of this glove and and be in a freedom. Right. Um, right. But what it ends up happening over the course of of time is that it gets to a place where it grows and it it now recognizes that humans have been trying to kill it. And so now it's, it is personal. Like when we get to the point of the stare down, it's no longer about resource as much as it is. There's also an element of I'm trying to kill you. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I, you know, like I know that you want to kill me and I will kill you. Mm-hmm. And we see this because Calvin is smart too. I mean, he's, it's super smart. I keep saying he, mm-hmm. and I want to make myself say it. It is very intelligent when it gets in the pod with David. Um, it doesn't, kill him it's not it's not like mindless um mm-hmm. and it, it uses his limbs to do what it wants to do it manipulates him like a puppet i mean it is creepy like that is what that was one of the creepier moments of calvin for me is when it is like making that pod do what it wants it to do you know and and it it knew what david wanted to do and intentionally tried to stop it and do the opposite thing which is which is scarier to me in a lot of ways than a mindless horror monster right because it's thinking for itself well Um, and it becomes almost like an ai where you make one move and it makes a counter move to mm -hmm. that it's it's not like you're it takes away the predictability which makes a movie like this really fun to watch because you don't know what's coming next you think oh that could solve it no that doesn't because it's already figured out that you know that that's what its next attempt is like the attempt that it um, you know, trying to get out of the, the lab, you know, they were closing the vents and eventually, like I said, Oh, okay, I see what you're doing. And it eventually, of course you knew it was going to get out. I mean, you can't have an right. hour and a half yeah. movie at that point be stuck in a room. But even when it's outside the space station, the, you know, trying to find, uh, I love the moment where they're trying to, they use the thrusters to try to get it out when it's trying to get into the lab or into the ship through the thrusters. And you see that last moment where they realize they can't use any more thruster power or else they'll stay in that degraded orbit 
and you see the the tick of the thruster gauge showing that it got in and then it goes down and then you hear you didn't even need to have the dialogue be said but you knew it's back in yeah and now you're in for a wild ride so i think seeing how it evolves is is one of the more interesting components of this film and uh because it doesn't there's no dialogue it's just action it's just cg action and that's that's a very cool accomplishment to be able to create a character development without any kind of words and really without any kind of actor present, you know? Oh, I agree. I agree. I, I was, I really enjoyed the, the entire design of Calvin um, from the very beginnings and the, the cellular level to the growth of him and to the jelly and to, you know, his ultimate horrific shape and who knows, you know, what he's going to be now at the end of that movie. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so I want to talk about the horror um, and the, the kills, because in a horror movie, that's something that we always like to talk about. I know you, you don't know that much because you don't do the horror podcasts, but you know, one of the things you want to discuss is, you know, did, were the kills effective and, and were the design of the kills effective and, and interesting and, and visceral and how did they affect us? So I would like to know from your perspective, um, you, you've already mentioned that you did have to cover your eyes a couple times. Um, but we had several different, you know, kills in this film which ones i guess what was your overall take on how that was done and how did you how did it make you feel um they felt they felt purposeful they felt progressive to me they didn't feel mindless they didn't feel gratuitous necessarily the exam the the exception being rory's i mean rory's death was (laughs) for Dude, it is memorable though. Like that is, is the point. Yeah. Like it is it was alien chess buster type of memorable. And that I have to give to the movie because mm-hmm. most films don't have that iconic of an image. And I think that's why they chose Ryan Reynolds for it. Because mm-hmm. it's where we can't forget we can forget it a lot easier if it's some random unknown. But mm-hmm. when it's Ryan Reynolds that they're doing that to his body, like mm-hmm. it is in our head. <laughs> At least it was I mean, in my head. I watched the whole thing. As someone who's not a huge fan of Deadpool, at that moment I wanted him to kind of go into his Deadpool mode and just kind of take that guy out, you know? And ha ha, Calvin, I can regenerate. Exactly. And then make some quippy comment about Jello modes or something. But I, the the other deaths were they they were they were weighted as much as the film was going to give them credit for. But they definitely felt progressive. Like I felt like each one was a little bit more intense each attack i would say each attack was a little bit more intense and very specific like it didn't i don't i didn't see calvin doing the same thing to each person that he was killing and granted the situations were different you know he was in a different place geographically it was at a different point in the movie where he was evolving and so each kill was at the very least very entertaining I don't feel like, with the exception of Rory's, that it was gratuitous. But for the reasons that you mentioned, it was gratuitous. That particular one was gratuitous for a specific reason. It said this is memorable, not only for the movie to know this is what we're up against, but also to to have a lasting impression. Because when you walk away from life, you're going to go, dude. When they killed off Ryan Reynolds, it'd be like That's like Tommy Boy, that was awesome. You know, you're going to have people to do that. Absolutely. And it was, I mean, it was definitely over the top, but it's not, it wasn't slasher for me. It wasn't slasher over the top. It wasn't like, let's slice and dice these guys 
I mean, it just felt very systematic. It felt very organized, very much like, you know, it, interspersed with this, you know, with this alien just running around, uh, trying to run away from a fire, fireball or fire thing. Um, you know, when you have that just in tandem with, with his systematic ways that he kills, it's, it, it show it, it kind of, it kind of echoes and kind of reinforces the evolution of Calvin as a character. And I thought those kills were very appropriate, uh, and very entertaining at the very least. So if he's Calvin and he's an organism, does that make him Calvinism? <laughs> Sorry. Let's check with our reform cats in the uh, field. Popcorn theology. Um, okay. <laughs> so, um, sorry, tangent there. But, uh, yeah, so my takes on the death, I, you know, I agree completely about Rory. We could talk about it all day because I, I love it. I mean, I would – I want to see it. I'm excited to see it again. I say that in a weird way because now I know it's coming. And from an artistic standpoint, the way in which the death is done, it it was pretty incredible. Just the way his body contorts and, and, and he is moved around as Calvin is going through him. Not only does it make sense, you know, because that's what Calvin is doing inside. He's like eating out the insides of him. I mean, so it, it's, it's visceral, but it's in a way that is realistic for what has taken place. Um, but it's just, it's really incredibly shot. Um, the other ones that s- specifically stepped out or stuck out to me, one was the rat. <laughs> when the rat dies, I was like, oh my gosh, because it, it just dissolves. Like it, you see the rat's skin like coming away until then you get it down to like the muscles and the bone and then it just, bleh, ugh, it's, it's awful. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty bad. Um, after the the rat dissolves into nothingness, um, the other kill that was interesting to me was not Calvin directly, but it was the the dying by drowning in your own spacesuit while in space. I thought that was pretty cool and inventive. The fact that our captain perishes in space by drowning in water, you know, out in space. Yeah, so that was yeah, that was very unique to me. Um, well, I thought, yeah, it was. I mean, very very unique. And then the other deaths, I don't know. They just weren't that memorable for me. I mean, we have, you know, really actually probably they were negatives in some ways. Um, the Calvin kills when we're talking about those. When Calvin goes into first-person mode and starts flying through the spaceship, like from his perspective and his view, it did not work for me. Okay. Uh, I was I was like, this is just really dumb. Um, I thought they were getting a little too... Uh, clever for themselves trying to be a little too high on the you know production design mm-hmm. kind of like a predator type viewpoint we, we don't usually see that mm-hmm. from the aliens perspective and then you know it kind of devolves from there into this what i would consider an unrealistic airlock breach um it's crazy loud it's a shaky cam going on it, you know Everything in the spaceship is being sucked out into space except Calvin and the guy that that's holding on by one hand to the spaceship. I just that doesn't make sense to me if it's yeah. if it's strong enough that everything can be pulled equipment wise out of the spaceship. Mm-hmm. You can't hold on to it and with Calvin attached to you and not be sucked out as well. Yeah. However, within that part that I didn't like, there was one great Calvin moment. <laughs> one of my favorite moments in the whole movie, Patrick, where 
this piece of falling degree debris comes flying down the shaft, you know, toward the out toward the where the airlock has breached, mm-hmm. and Calvin is climbing up, and he ducks and dodges it like oh yeah his intelligence in that moment i actually wrote my notes i was like smart little bugger but like he you can visually see him dodge it mm-hmm. and uh i thought that was really cool you know to see an alien be that aware right in that moment yeah i mean i none of that really bothered me as far as like the unrealisticness of it because at this point we're dealing with an alien life form that has grown exponentially and is killing people in random ways so it, it wasn't necessarily like consistent with the rest of the movie but for me i was just it, it was a ride that i was along for and uh the first person stuff it felt very reminiscent of like the abyss and the aliens in abyss Ooh, uh, i don't remember that yeah there were there were a couple of moments when when you get that first person perspective not as a predator necessarily but as a as a life form and that's what kind of connected me to that cool yeah. Well, the the other thing that I wanted to talk about really is just the ending mm-hmm. before we move on. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on it? Because it's a twist. Yeah. It's an. Un- I guess my first question to you would be: Were you surprised by the ending? I was, to an extent. Um, I think it it wasn't as telegraphed for me as I think it would be for 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 folks that are familiar with, uh, with this director and these writers, but. I picked up on it the moment that um, I believe it was uh, Miranda. I think she was the one that got out in the escape pod. Yeah. That when, when her pod malfunctioned, I was like, oh, okay. And now we see two pods and we don't necessarily know which one's which. And I was like, okay, something's going to get switched here. Um, <laughs> and sure enough, that long shot of the, uh, the guest from Singapore or from Thailand, I can't remember the, the Asian uh, Asian guys um, slowly going towards the pod. I was like, "That's yeah, that's David's. That's David's pod." <laughs> and so, I didn't see it initially coming, but at a certain point, I, I kind of saw the telegraph there. How about you? Well, I saw it coming from a mile away. Um, it didn't surprise me at all, and I think that might be a little bit of you actually hit on exactly what I would say was the reason. Having experienced these writers before, I didn't get the sense that they were going to wrap this up with a nice little bow. It wasn't going to just be your typical, we've now saved ourselves and everything went right at the end of the movie kind of story. Didn't, I didn't get that tone from this film at all. Um, and nor knowing their previous work. So w- as soon as they both took off and Calvin had wrapped himself around David and started to try and manipulate what David was doing, I was convinced that this is exactly what was going to happen mm-hmm. um, was he was going to make sure that David crashed on earth. And so I also, I thought it was a little clunky in the way that they, they showed it. Um, I tried to, you know, imagine, you know, where they were shooting the pods out of They're supposed they shot out in different directions because they were going different directions. And, you know, all of a sudden we just get a quick scene to where now they're like on top of each other going the same direction, you know, and one of them kind of pulls up. And one of them doesn't. And I was like, oh, I didn't really buy any of that. I mean, I, I don't have, again, I don't have to, this is a, this is not a movie that I'm, I'm asking to be interstellar. I'm not asking it to be 2001 and be perfectly accurate in its physics, <laughs> but it, it definitely didn't change my opinion at all of, Oh, I know what's going to happen here. That being said, doesn't really matter if I saw it coming or not, because I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the choice of the ending. I, 
I hope that this is not a sequel in, intended to leave this open for a sequel so that we can have a sequel of what happens with Calvin on Earth. I don't want that. Some people might, and that's fine. L- let them want that. I don't care. I'm not going to take that away from them. But personally, I like and I'm content with this being it, right? It is like this. We can imagine and, and go in our heads, decide what happens to Earth. Um, I don't want to see necessarily what someone else's vision of that is. I, I don't know. But do, do you? No. No, not at all. I think okay. it, I think an ending like this is very much on par with what we've seen throughout the rest of the movie, Death of Ryan Reynolds early on. And I don't think it's set up for a sequel at all. I think it was just a, this is not this is not what we wanted to do. We didn't want to wrap this up. We wanted to say <laughs> life sucks, <laughs> not the movie, but, yeah. but nobody's going to be a winner at this game of life. It's going to be the alien. He's going to, oh, he's going to completely nice. <laughs> had to throw it in there at some point. <laughs> right. He's going to take, he's going to take out the earth, right? Like yeah. this one alien from Mars is now everything that they, they tried to prevent is going to eradicate our species. Yeah. Essentially is what I think that's what they were trying to tell us. And I'm good with that. I like that. I mean, I don't like our species being eradicated, but Storytelling wise, I like the way that they did it. Yeah. Which brings me to one other quick thing. You know, it was a little annoying for me that they kept using the word firewalls. I thought that was almost trying to be too witty for their own good, coming up with this new way of this new word to use. And she was, she kept talking about, I'm in charge of the firewalls. And, you know, we have firewall number one is this and firewall number yeah, two. Yeah, I didn't it was get like, that at all. Like, I eventually realized and picked up on, oh, you're using computer language to say these are your protocols mm-hmm. for what you're going to do in a situation to yeah. prevent the alien from getting out. But using the word firewall, I, I thought in a movie that is not expository, mm-hmm. you were putting some language in there that required exposition for us to understand really what you were saying. Exactly. <laughs> and that yeah. was a poor choice. Yeah, that's that's one part that I had beef with it. I don't... You know your audience when they hear the word firewall, they're going to be smart enough to think it's a computer term, and they're not going to necessarily make the connection that oh, it's it's not what you think it is. And it it, it was frustrating for me because when they started explaining at the end what the three firewalls were, I was like, oh, I was ignoring that completely. I thought that was just dialogue. You know, I didn't think that that was actually part of the plot. <laughs> I thought it was just like yeah. we're being smart, and yeah, I, I didn't really like that at all either. Yeah, me either. Well, have we skipped anything, or I don't think did you so. have something else? No, I think uh, I think we hit on most of everything besides our uh, our connecting points. All right. Well, let's uh, go into those then and talk about the good old point that we most emotionally connected with the film. There wasn't really a profundity to this movie. Is that a word? Profundity? Is it that can how you be say that. that. You can call it one. Okay. Ooh, I just made a word. Yay! Yay! Hooray for podcasting. Hooray. Um, <laughs> I get to create language. Well, this isn't, what this was isn't an arrival podcast. <laughs> That's true. Just because it's in space. Okay. Um, so what was your connecting point, Patrick? Well, I think that uh, for me, the there were a lot of really cool, like little serious moments. There were moments with, um, uh, with, with David and with Miranda. I thought they were very sincere. But the real moment for me was when Kat was killed. You know, she's the individual that was outside the space uh, space station, and she was trying to lure the the alien back to the airlock. And at the same time, her 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 suit started leaking, and so there were the there was water in her mask. And 
the moment that I really kind of got a, as much as I could get a serious emotion and, mm-hmm. and real desperation for her and, and for the crew and, and the genuine, almost a genuine hatred for the alien was when she died. Because here she is, you know, David's trying to get her to turn the airlock one way and she's turning it the opposite way. And he's like, she's fighting me. She's fighting me. And, and Miranda goes, no, she's doing it intentionally. You know, she's trying to protect us. And the whole time you see her drowning in this pool that she can't, I mean, she cannot escape it. And, um, you know, at that moment I felt so much anger and fear and I could see myself crying with David and echoing the sentiment of Miranda, um, later on where she says, I genuinely hate this thing. And, you know, I know that moment as a viewer when watching film, I've experienced it where I genuinely want a character, humor or not, to just be killed, not to die, but to be killed. And it could be as superficial as just a supervillain. But when you can write a character, and even more so in this film, when you can take a character who has not spoken a line of dialogue, (laughs) who does not have a mouth, who does not have any kind of facial expressions, when just by these actions that can be translated in two different ways can get me to feel something like that. That's pretty powerful stuff. And I think that's a, that's a huge winner, a uh, huge check mark of, of just good storytelling by that whole creative team behind this. But I, uh, I, I now officially hate aliens. And so I've said it before. I'll say it again. I have no problem saying that I hate aliens. And so it will take <laughs> something monumental for me to <laughs> go watch ET <sighs> or close encounters. Maybe. I mean, that one kind of got me connected yeah. to, so that's my there's, there's good there's good aliens out there. Yeah, somewhere. they just exist in the '80s, man. All the '90s and <laughs> current aliens are all just poo heads. We you just talked about some aliens that are good, the heptapods. Not to spoil the movie, I did. whoops. But, <laughs> um, uh, never mind. They're not really good. Never mind. We're done. We're talking. We're not done talking about it. We're not going to talk about this anymore. My connecting point uh, was Hugh's death scene, and this is this is when Hugh actually dies. So. He he gets you know severely injured uh, there after he gets his hand crushed, and there comes this like slowdown moment in the movie mm-hmm. where they're kind of all sitting around talking. Um, I I can't remember. I think they've been separated the, separated at this point um, from one of the characters. I think uh, the character who's in his own pod at this point, kind of hiding out, and the the alien or Calvin is is doing his thing where he's like you know headbutting the guy's <laughs> sleeping pod. Um, and, and the characters with Hugh, they're, they're talking and I, I don't remember if it's Hugh or David. I think it's David, Jake Gyllenhaal's character that says, you know, I remember the day the challenger blew up. He says that was, it was, it's hard to watch people die. And then he talks about how it was like fireworks and it was just, it's just this very descriptive moment of that event. And I found a, a real resonance in that because this is an astronaut and a guy who doesn't want to go back down to earth. At one point, this is the character that says, go back down there with, you know, I don't want to go back down there with those 8 billion mother beepers, you know, like he, he's clearly likes where he's at. Yeah. Um, but you know, him reflecting on a, an other astronauts dying, like is, is more impactful than, than me reflecting on it as, as a viewer, because I'm not one of them. And we, we, then we get into this part where, where Hugh is then talking and he's talking about the loss of Rory. And he says, he was my buddy it's my fault. And then he says about Calvin, it's just surviving. Life's very existence requires destruction. That was the line that caught me. 
Mm, yeah. Calvin doesn't hate us. He just has to kill us in order to survive. And so that is as deep as the movie got, which is fine it, because it gave it a little bit of depth. And I think it was, I think it was necessary for me to really to push this into good territory. And I liked that a lot um, because what we then learn is that Calvin is actually wrapped around his legs at this point. Like he, <laughs> what a surprise. Yeah. And so I guess for me, it's so powerful because he's saying this, he's literally forgiving the thing that is killing him as it's killing him. That is how I read it. He knows that it's killing him. It's, it's going to take his life. He knows he's not going to make it. And it's almost like he's forgiving it as it's happening. And Hugh was always the character I connected with most the entire film. Um, and I just, I, I, it gave me a real sense of investment in what was happening. Um, and I just, I thought that was a really powerful moment in the movie. Well, I think like, so too. Yeah. And, and that reveal that the alien was, was attached to him. That to me, I mean, you explaining that, uh, in your perspective, perception of that, I actually didn't pick up on that until just now. So that's very cool. I didn't, I didn't make that, that connection. Well, good. I'm glad my connecting point connected for you. A little aha moment there for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's all I've got for this one, Patrick. Do you have anything extra? Um, if anyone wants to give me movies where aliens are cool, then to kind of help me get past my alien racism, I would be glad to accept the, the challenge of watching movies like that. <laughs> well, good. Well, good. Well, if you want to talk to me any bit more about this movie, uh, you can find me online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E, on Twitter, on Facebook, anywhere you look. You can also interact with me and Patrick both uh, on the show's social medias at Twitter, Feel and Film, uh, on our Facebook page, and our Facebook group specifically. Uh, it's free to join. Anybody can come do that, and lots of conversation is always happening there each and every day. The other thing I would like to mention is we would love to have you review the show if you enjoy it and you are a you know dedicated listener. It would be great to have you go on to iTunes or Stitcher or Player FM, whatever your platform is that you use to listen to us. Uh, go on there and just drop us a rating. Anything there helps us become more visible and uh, more appealing to people that are looking for a new show to find and just helps uh, grow the community and bring more people into the fold to talk about movies with us. Absolutely, man. And we love getting the feedback. We love hearing what you guys like, what you don't, and helps us get better at what we do. So please feel free to leave feedback any way you can. If you want to reach me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on the webs, uh, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at that username. Uh, you can also find out more about me at thisispatch.com. wanted to give you a couple of... Uh, upcoming announcements or announcements about upcoming events this friday we are going to be dropping our uh minisode that was uh voted by our patreon community we are we covered tombstone we did a minisode on that had a great time recording that and uh hopefully dropped enough quotes that people would be satisfied because that is a highly quotable film there's also some bonus content for our patreon users we did some uh some afterwards on the show, some, uh, on the episode that we didn't get around to to catching in the, the main mini-sode. So if you're a Patreon subscriber, you'll have access to that. If not, join us on uh, patreon.com slash feelinfilm. Become a, um, a patron, and you can be given access to that bonus content as well. 
Next week, my friend, we are doing something that <laughs> may change the landscape for feel and film as it is. We are going to be covering a Nicholas Sparks movie, The Notebook. If you can't get any more feeling out of a movie than this, I don't know where you're living. So this will be an interesting podcast for, for sure. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but for me, I think it's going to be kind of interesting. I don't even remember how this got on our list. I mean, this wasn't even like we, we're not even like appealing to or appeasing listeners at this point. This was a choice that we made. Um, no, I you know I've seen it a couple times back in the day, and I'm a softy, and it really impacted me emotionally. And I feel like feel like it's a good one for the show and yeah. the the idea of what we're doing. I mean, you know it's hard to be feeling film if we're not going to cover a romantic comedy or a romance here or there. And I think this is a good place to start. It'll be, it'll be a fun, it'll be a fun experience. I think regardless. words like man card are probably going to get said a few times. Ooh, yeah. We're just, yeah, they're going to be gone. That's okay. <laughs> you know what? If Ryan Gosling can act in this movie and keep his man card, then we can, we can review his movie and keep our man card. Amen to that brother. Amen to that. All right. And if not, we'll just claim amnesia. <laughs> I did there anyway I got um all right well um everybody thanks for listening we appreciate it and always love having you as part of the the uh, community hopefully you'll interact with us on twitter and facebook and come let us know what you thought of the episode until next time stay positive and keep feeling film <laughs>